Welcome to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast, a place where hungry minds discuss all things evidence-based nutrition, fitness, mindset, and healthy living. We're your hosts, registered dietitian and nutritionists, Courtney and Darian. Let's dive in. The information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only, so always speak to a healthcare provider such as a registered dietitian who can work with you directly about your unique healthcare needs. Hello there, and welcome back to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast. In today's episode, we are going to share 20 tips from one of our successful nutrition clients. Before we dig into today's content, I always like to ask Darian this question. What's the best thing you ate this week? You know, I had to think about it for a minute, but a friend of mine um, was making some homemade hamburger soup and she had sent me a photo. I was like, oh, that looks so good. And then she brought me a bowl. So it just was like so just like nourishing. I feel like I like hamburger my, soup. Yeah, yeah. And I like I don't make meals like that for myself sometimes. And it just it reminded me of like my mom used to make hamburger soup and it was so good. So that was probably the best thing. Oh, that's but an awesome yeah. one. What yeah. about you? Hmm. Well, this one's kind of boring because I feel like I eat it every single week. But taco salad, I just, yeah, I love my taco salad. (laughs) I Like I said, it's a staple for us one time a week um, and it always just hits. We actually had Darian over for supper for for taco salad. But I would say something more exciting. um, We were traveling to Prince Albert last weekend for a little canoeing trip. And on the way back home, we stopped in Rostern. And there's this cute little ice cream shop called Little Bean. Um, And one of my clients actually had shared it. Um, And then my brother-in-law had stopped there. And he's like, oh, my gosh, it's so good. So we stopped there. And it was awesome. Mm. I love hard ice cream. So I got one called um, Grandma's Cookie Jar. And it had a collection of, like, cookie dough and peanut butter and brownie bits. Mm. So, yeah, very good. Worth Worth going to if you're driving through Rostern. Rostern. So jumping into today's content, as a little bit of a background, this is a nutrition client I worked with for four years. So we started our work together four years ago, and at that time, the client's goals were focused around body recomposition. She wanted to lose body fat and build muscle, but she also really just wanted to learn about nutrition and how Mm. to fuel herself and how to be more consistent in her habits. She had a lot of experiences where she'd maybe try to eat really healthy, but Mm. then it wasn't sustainable and she'd fall off track. And so she was really looking to learn about nutrition to fuel her body, but actually make it last and make it stick. But throughout our time together, her goals evolved. So um, she got married and then eventually wanted to have a baby and came off birth control. So we worked on restoring Mm. her period and nutrition for that goal. And then eventually when she got pregnant, fueling her through her pregnancy and shifting nutrition to align with that phase of the life cycle and then postpartum and breastfeeding, (laughs) which involves a totally different nutrition approach to meet the needs uh, of breastfeeding uh, and then eventually introducing solids to her infant. So, so many nutrition milestones and, and goals came up along our journey together. So it was really cool to get to support this client um, throughout so many shifts <laughs> in the four years yeah. that we worked together. That's yeah. really cool to hear, like a four-year-long journey. And like you said, like very different life stages too. Mm-hmm. It's not just a, oh, this is what we're doing for four years straight. Mm-hmm. It's like ever evolving with our nutrition. Mm-hmm. I think that's something too that a lot of people, I think it's important to kind of recognize for yourself too. It's like, 
things are never going to be the same at every stage in your life. So recognizing that your nutrition or the habits or the lifestyle that you take Mm -hmm. on isn't going to be the same either. And it's okay to adapt and like be comfortable or uncomfortable with those changes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And of course, there's a lot of pillars that stayed the same throughout our work together. And we'll talk about some of those Mm -hmm. key habits. Um, But like you said, Darian, a lot had to change and shift. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we'll talk about what she experienced along the way as well. Um, So when we finished our coaching relationship together, this client sent me a reflection with 20 of the most important takeaways from our time together. And I just love what she wrote. Um, I think it's really powerful and some of the tips uh, might be really helpful for our listeners. So throughout this podcast, I'll read one of her uh, reflections, and then Darren and I might have some banter Mm -hmm. about it, um, and then we'll move on to share all 20 tips. The first reflection my client shared was to add protein. She said, for me, this was the first change I made with nutrition, and it was life-altering, all capital letters. No joke, this will forever be a staple life habit for me when I feel like I'm floundering. I will always refocus on protein above all else. I know I feel my best on 30 grams or more of protein per meal and snack. I remember when I first reached out to you and you had me track my nutrition. I was sure I was a big protein eater, and I was shocked when you gave me feedback that I wasn't getting even close to the protein I should be consuming. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, no surprise to me that that's the first one, but I love that she put such emphasis on how quote unquote life altering adding protein was into her routine. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I read a quote on Threads, actually, the new social media app, uh, where someone said, I have 99 problems, but protein solved almost all of them. (laughs) And I'm like, it's so true. (laughs) When it comes to nutrition, it seems like for many goals, we're coming back to that foundation of Mm -hmm. building protein into meals and snacks. And it's not just about building muscle. It's about supporting blood sugars throughout the day. Um, It's about feeling more full and addressing Mm -hmm. cravings that might be happening. Um, So... Yeah, like Darian said, no surprise that this one came out as the number Number one. one. (laughs) The second reflection was hydration. Uh, My client said, it's still shocking to me how much I need to actively work on this. Every aspect of my life is impacted with hydration. Adding electrolytes is helpful, but at the the very least, adding water is always key. I have found that right now, 120 ounces is where I feel my best, but pre-breastfeeding, it was 100 ounces, so I will keep that in mind. So with this client, she is still breastfeeding, and with breastfeeding, we need even more Mm -hmm. (laughs) hydration, and so she's really focused on that right now, Um, but as she noted, that might decrease um, when she is no longer breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. I feel like the hydration one, I mean, it is just so important, I think it's almost underestimated for people, too, how much they actually think they're drinking. Like, Mm -hmm. like, oh, I do a good job, you know, I get a water bottle in, and I'm like, okay, no, like, we gotta (laughs) triple, quadruple that, like, so I think that is such a valuable one to be cognizant Mm -hmm. of, and aim to increase in your day. Yeah. And like my client shared, water is the foundation of hydration, as most people know, but electrolytes can be helpful as well. And electrolytes are those minerals that help our body actually latch onto the fluid Mm. and hold it, as well as being involved in many cellular functions. And so many people can meet their electrolyte needs by consuming fruits and veggies and other electrolyte-rich foods. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes 
people who need that hydration support benefit from an electrolyte supplement. So oftentimes when I'm working with moms who are breastfeeding, we do add in electrolyte support for them just because it is quite difficult for them to feel hydrated without it. So that can be a tool in people's hydration toolkit. Her third reflection was, with fiber intake, hydration needs to come as well. I used to think adding fiber was the main importance, but I've learned that I need to pair that with hydration to prevent feeling bloated and support my digestion. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. I like that she looped the hydration in with the fiber because absolutely we can add all the fiber we want, but that hydration has to come with it. Yeah. And I love that fiber made the top three because I do think fiber is a really important consideration for a lot of people when it comes to their nutrition and wellness goals. And it's increasing your fiber intake and making sure you're getting enough is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, But like she said, if you don't bump up your hydration, if it's lacking, you're going to feel a little bit bloated or constipated from that additional fiber. So it's important to keep that in mind for anyone looking to boost their fiber intake. So with fiber, I know there can be a little bit of a sweet spot in terms of what's optimal for each person. Um, What was kind of this client's range and maybe what were some foods she really enjoyed adding in for Mm -hmm. her fiber? Yeah. So this client would go in and out of phases of tracking food. So then I did have some data on how much fiber she was consuming. And I believe for her around... 35 grams of fiber was the sweet spot. And I find quite often when clients are exceeding 35 grams of fiber, they are perhaps getting some symptoms, Mm -hmm. um, some digestive symptoms related to having too much fiber. Typically, that only happens if people are adding in very high fiber foods like protein bars with added fiber. Mm. Um, But still for her, I think it was around 35 grams. And truthfully, she ate quite a variety of foods. She really enjoyed berries. So she would have berries and yogurt with seeds. I I don't know if she'd put chia seeds in, which are also high fiber, but I think she'd put some type of nut or seed. So with the berries and nuts, she'd have a high fiber snack and high protein Mm. snack with that yogurt. She's the type of person who has lots of veggies and fruit through her day. So that was definitely contributing to her fiber as well. And then she would consume oats or muffins made with oat flour um, and then a good variety of starches that would have fiber as well, like including potatoes. Um, So yeah, those stand out to me as some common high Mm -hmm. fiber foods she would consume. But we will have a blog post that accompanies this podcast, and I'll list some other very high fiber foods that people can consider adding to their diet if they are wanting to boost their fiber intake. Her fourth reflection was consistency is key. She said, I can make all the huge changes in the world, but if I can't maintain them, then they are useless. I will always feel better and have more success with nutrition if I focus on consistency of manageable habits over the long term. Mm -hmm. I love this one. I think this one's great that it was in the top of her reflections as well, because I think this is also an maybe underlooked concept um mm-hmm. lots of times i'm working with clients like, okay what do we need to change or do this week and i'm like honestly nothing like can we be consistent with the habits that we've been building on and you've seen success with mm-hmm. for you know this next week these next couple of weeks like and see how that really impacts you absolutely and i think a lot of people can get caught up in the planning or the creation of the perfect plan but for many of us And I would say most people I work with, we can't make a 180 change with our habits anyhow, where we go from zero to 100 um, and, and follow this like perfect 
meal plan we've created, our perfect training plan. So it's better to bite off a small chunk anyhow and be successful with it for a week and then grow your habits from there. And I find that approach helps people build not only consistency, but confidence. So they're doing what they say they're going to do and have a high level of self-integrity through the process of changing their lifestyle. Her fifth reflection was, movement is a pillar for me. I feel my best and my other healthy habits fall into place when I have consistent movement in my weeks. I need to thank you for telling me about street parking way back when, as it has been the perfect program for me. I can see myself using the program for life, to be honest. I love it so much. So just a little bit of a background. This client um, did want to adopt regular movement and exercise into her routine, but she wanted it to be something that... um, could be sustained. And in brainstorming what her options were, we decided an at-home program would be best for her and actually allow her to be consistent. So I directed her towards an online program called Street Parking. It's kind of like a CrossFit at-home program, and she ended up loving it. Um, So um, it was awesome that she she enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and she picked it up. And like she said, she's going to continue with this program for life, perhaps. Um, But we did really discover for her how important movement is, not just for her physical health, but her mental and emotional health. Um, Throughout the changes she experienced uh, with pregnancy and postpartum, body image came up quite Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, Whenever our body is changing drastically, I think it's common to experience a shift in our body image. Um, And we found that anchoring and movement was really helpful for her Mm -hmm. to have more positive body image. And so using movement, not necessarily to change her body, but to feel strong in her Mm -hmm. body um, was a really important focus. Yeah, I think, I I mean, I really think that one is so important. And you kind of said, like, finding one that really worked for her and resonated for her. And it was a, you know, a form that she really wanted to do and could stick to. And I think that's so important, too. Yeah, it kind of pulls back to the consistency piece. Like, she knew if she said she was going to go to the gym five times a week, she wouldn't actually be consistent Mm -hmm. and and have success. But if she chose something that was realistic for her lifestyle, uh, which was working out at home, then she could be successful. And she definitely was with this program. Her sixth reflection was, time outside is another pillar for me. This is always grounding for me and key for my mental health. And this definitely connected back to the body image piece when we were reflecting what makes you feel good in your body? What do you do to experience higher body image or better body image and movement and time outside were the top two for her. So really focusing on those habits obviously have benefits for her physical health, but as she noted, um, really helped um, with her mental health as well. Reflection number seven, my relationship with food doesn't have to be and shouldn't be just about fuel. I have come to appreciate the joy in food and our experiences around food. Oh, this is a nice one. Mm-hmm. I like, um, you know, that she did hit on like the fuel aspect, but then also just finding joy and experience in it because I think, yeah, that that is such an important piece of food mm-hmm. and how it allows us to connect with others too. Yeah, absolutely. And one of our nutrition philosophies at Vitality is fuel the body, feed the soul. 
So the fuel the body piece is very much connected to our physical health and choosing nutrient dense foods that support physical health and perhaps even align with specific goals. Maybe it's managing a chronic condition or changing body composition. Um, It could be improving fitness or maybe increasing energy. And so choosing nutrient dense foods for our physical health is, is very important, but so is feeding the soul, which I describe to clients as being the connection piece of food to our other values. Um, Mm -hmm. So it might just be the pleasure that we can take in food and the joy of eating food that we love, but it could also be eating food with other people like friends and family, or now for my client, um, her child or her husband. And so food is connected to creating memories and having experiences with people. So sometimes it's very valuable to be enjoying food, even if it's not the most nutrient-dense choice, knowing that having that food is actually improving our health by connecting us to the people we love or experiences that are valuable to us. And so, like I said, even if it's not necessarily supporting our physical health, it's supporting our whole body health Mm -hmm. in a different way. And so understanding how food can fit into the bigger picture or a variety of foods can fit, I think is really important for people as they're creating a sustainable ab- approach to food and, and not just thinking of the connection that um, food has to physical health, looking a little bit beyond that. And I think this client did a really good job of, of finding that balance in her life. Mm-hmm. And I find like a lot of my clients, it actually makes them more consistent with their other choices when they really do embody that fuel the body feed the soul approach Uh like oh my gosh that just makes so much sense and then it just seems to trickle over into like every connection in their life and they're able to really make intention in their choices on either end of the spectrum yeah absolutely and I have had clients say like oh if I was feeding the soul I'd just like eat ice cream and (laughs) chips and candy all day Um, but that's not necessarily true like I know this concept is a little bit nuanced but when people really start to reflect on their values um, and food and when it brings joy and pleasure and connection they know the difference between like eating ice cream and, and enjoying it and it feeding the soul versus when it's time to maybe say no to the ice cream and make a more like fuel focused mm-hmm. choice. Um, so it does take some personal reflection. And as dietitians, we won't always know yep. uh, what the right answer is for you, but we want to help you understand what you value. And like I said before, how food can play both roles. So her eighth reflection was also more food relationship focused. So she said, it's really important for me to raise kids to have a healthy relationship with food. I want to do everything in my power to foster healthy language around food and eating and work towards kids maintaining intuitive eating habits as they grow and change throughout life. I never want my kids to feel anxiety or fear around food, and I don't want diet culture to be a thing in our house. I've been listening to a podcast, and she grew up with her dad saying, eat until you're comfortable. And I really like that phrase instead of eat until you're full or eat X more bites or any other phrase you can think of that takes the intuition out of a kid eating as much or as little as they want and need in that moment. This is already becoming a challenge with some extended family, and I find myself working on setting the boundaries of no diet talk and no talking about body features in a negative or toxic way. Example, I'm so fat, I need to lose weight, her body is so perfect, etc. I don't want those narratives to be the conversation at family dinners with my kids there. It's hard enough on the adults at the table, let alone kids, and I get so sick of certain people talking like that while eating seven kinds of dessert. 
Also, I'd like to enjoy a meal with any conversation except body image, weight loss, diet shit. That's clearly a rock in my shoe these days. Um, so with this reflection, there's kind of two things that she's talking about. The first is um, a conversation we started to have on the division of responsibility, which is a family nutrition concept that I think is really powerful for parents to understand when they're feeding their kids. Um, and the division of responsibility is the responsibility of the parent and then the responsibility of the child. Um, the responsibility of the parent, and it does change throughout the child's life cycle, but the parent's responsibility is the what and the when. Mm -hmm. So that means parents are responsible for deciding when the meals and snacks are. Mm -hmm. And for younger kids, typically that's three meals and three snacks. And then they decide um, the what. So what are they serving? And we teach parents how to provide yes. the, the key food groups at meals and snacks. So that's their responsibility. But then the kid's responsibility is whether and how much. And that's that intuitive piece that our client was talking about, where we really want to maintain the child's ability to listen to their body um, and listen to those body cues and eat as much or as little as they need at the meal or snack and let them trust those cues and, and not to push them by saying, like, take another bite or you have to finish your plate, knowing that, you know what, if they eat a little less at breakfast, they might eat a little bit more at snack. And as a parent, you're going to be providing regular meals and snacks to give them that opportunity to eat. And I mean, there's a lot that we can talk about within the division mm -hmm. of responsibilities and, and the boundaries that parents need to set within it um, and different concepts to support children as we're developing their eating skills and their confidence um, around nutrition. But that's the gist of it. And that's really what she was talking about when she mentioned she wants to maintain her child's ability to be intuitive and listen to their body in terms of how much to eat. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, like, I mean, seeing Children, I think they are such a great example of like being able to listen to their body. So then as the adult, being able to let them lean into that is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, many of us grew up in a day and age mm -hmm. where kind of the, the narrative at the table was finish your plate. Yeah. And obviously our parents were coming from a really good place yes. with that. They wanted us to be nourished and fueled. But we just have a different perspective now where mm -hmm. we really want to trust the child. And I find with my clients, my adult clients, we're sometimes kind of rewriting those past narratives yeah. where it was finish the plate. Absolutely. And they're noticing they're feeling too full after they eat. So we have to challenge what they learned as a child and start to rebuild those connections with their body so that they are tuning in and actually listening to the cues that are telling mm -hmm. them they're satisfied and not uncomfortably full. The second piece that she was sharing on or was talking about was really setting those boundaries around um, diet talk mm -hmm. and body talk. Yeah, that's that's a hard one. I find that one is a very tricky one to navigate. Like even now for myself personally, like a lot of clients I'm working with, and I think unfortunately it is one that's probably going to be around in different environments just based on people's perspectives, the way they their environments they're in and raised. And I think it's a big part is just trying to stay relatively strong too and just your values and mm. the way you are maybe perceiving the conversation and I find myself I won't necessarily comment on things anymore but I'll just 
kind of work through it in my own head and know yeah. my own thoughts. Yeah. And this would be a great one for Hannah. Mm-hmm. Hannah's away on vacation right now, but she'd have a lot to add. Yeah. And this is really yeah. her area of focus, yeah. um, a food relationship um, for sure. So she'd have some nice perspective to share. But I definitely agree with you, Darian, when it's me, like I'm not necessarily going to set that boundary, but I can be firm in mm-hmm. how I talk about food in my body. And I also find that hearing um, maybe it's extended family or or the people that we've spent time with as as children when we hear them talk about food in their body in that way at least for me I found myself being more compassionate with some of those narratives I struggled with as a teenager and young Mm -hmm. adult because I'm like oh that's where that came from that wasn't necessarily my narrative that's just what I grew up hearing and I get to change the narrative for myself Mm -hmm. and and my family moving forward if I choose to have one but I do think for people with kids it's trickier because you need to set that boundary for them if you don't want them to be exposed to that unhelpful dialogue around food Mm -hmm. and bodies so yeah it's it's tough for sure but I definitely appreciate what this client shared and how she wants to move forward um, in terms of creating that healthy environment when it comes to um, food and and bodies I want to raise kids who see me and my husband practice healthy habits. I want them to see me incorporating movement in a way that makes me feel good. I want them to see me and participate in preparing a variety of delicious foods and see me enjoying that with our family. I want them to see me prioritizing my own mental and physical health so that they know mom's needs are important and they deserve to have their own needs met as they grow up. Right now, I work out while my baby naps, but as he gets older and more independent, I do plan to include him in movement activities, whether that is hiking, biking, playing outside, sports, or even structured workouts. I want him to see a mom who finds joy in movement and does it for a range of benefits. I like this one a lot. And, you know, I think... um Lead by example. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like even I, I was just when you're reading that, I was thinking about my own gym environment and how it's like full of just like strong moms and it's like and dads but their kids are there (laughs) (laughs) but their kids are there and like you see them mimicking the movements and they're excited and they're wanting to try those things and it's just like starting to cultivate such a healthy relationship with like the things our bodies can do and how cool it can be and I think exactly I'm like lead by example I'm like damn parenting sounds really hard (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh yeah but I love what she talked about too even on the food side of things and and we talk about that with parents um, involving kids in the process of cooking and grocery Mm -hmm. shopping and preparing foods obviously like safe tasks for whatever age they're at but when kids are involved in the process they're more likely to take part so that's a tip we often share you know if we're trying to to get our our children in you know enjoying fruits and vegetables for example well let's have them mm-hmm. wash them or chop them or prep them and when they're involved they're going to be more curious about it and mm-hmm. and they'll want to try it so yes. we talked about the division of responsibility as a big concept in terms of the parents deciding the when and the what and the children with the weather and how much mm-hmm. but there's other tips to um, ensure that children are more successful in their yeah. eating and one is to involve them in the process yeah, yeah. that reminds me of our, our diet dietitian friend who uh loves to post videos of his two boys helping him cook and it's just I love it and like they're gonna probably just have such a positive like food experience and like be open to trying new things because they're so heavily involved in cooking and they're like elaborate meals too it's like not just like cooking craft dinner they're making (laughs) omelets and like these delicious pasta bakes and I'm just like oh man that's awesome yeah 
Number 10, sleep. My client says, I can't summarize this easily, but sleep is key. I know I do best with seven to eight hours of sleep each night, and I have a range of habits that help support that. I know I will continue to have seasons where sleep is less than ideal, but I know what I need to do to prioritize this when I'm able. And this was definitely one that's challenging, obviously, Mm -hmm. like postpartum and breastfeeding. This client really noticed a shift in her sleep where she wasn't getting as much and and the effects that had on her. And like she reflected, there are seasons where her sleep will be less than ideal, but it is a priority for her to get as much sleep as possible. And I would say that one could be like definitely up there in the, the top yeah. three for a lot of people. Getting enough sleep is so vital um, and, and affects us in ways beyond just having better energy. For example, mm-hmm. people who struggle with food cravings, um, that yeah. can definitely be exacerbated by poor sleep. And so oftentimes when we're tackling many of the goals we're working yeah. on with clients, like um, you know food relationship goals or fitness goals or body composition goals, getting enough sleep Mm -hmm. um, is a foundation or a pillar in that. It really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like she said, there's a range of habits that we can consider adopting to support our sleep. Um, So things like bedtime routines and making the room dark and quiet. Um, And that's where as dietitians, we can really help our clients in establishing those habits in sleep, knowing that sleep is really going to be connected to your food choices as Mm -hmm. well. When we're not sleeping, we tend to maybe not eat as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Number 11, screen time slash social media. My client says, I have come to understand through lots of reflecting and working with you that too much screen time, especially social media, is not good for my mental health, so I'm constantly working on that balance. I also continually need to monitor what I'm consuming through social media and adjusting the types of accounts I follow and information I interact with. Yeah, I think this is a hot take. I think social media is the new smoking. Like in 10 years, people are going to say it's just as Mm -hmm. bad for you as smoking. Maybe some people will come at me for that. But I think the the mental the the effects of social media on many people's mental health are very noticeable. And for this client, when we were brainstorming, what makes your body image better? What makes it worse? Too much screen time and social media time was strongly associated with worse body image, which was really affecting her quality of life. So setting those boundaries on social media, as she reflected, um, is really important and something that she has to be strategic with moving forward, because truly social media is a part of many people's lives and we Mm -hmm. maybe can't just delete it. Perhaps some people could. And so figuring out what those boundaries are, um, whether it's the amount of time you're spending or the types of accounts you're following so you can maintain a healthy mindset. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's too like, like she kind of made a note of, you know, filtering what type of information and accounts maybe are on my social media, if that's something you choose to really be still like following and monitoring but it's like okay what are you seeing most often because yeah it's so easy to just shape your perception or what you find yourself doing based off of what you're viewing every single day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, I would say that like shaping your social media is actually quite difficult Mm -hmm. now with the algorithms. It's like if someone says something around you or you look up something one time, you might be continually fed Mm -hmm. that content when you don't want to see it. So it's not always as easy as just unfollowing Mm -hmm. accounts that aren't supportive. You could be continually bombarded with information that isn't supporting you and the type of content you want to interact with. Number 12, 
I need to work on figuring out what type of person I want to be and making choices that align with that type of person. I have always liked this suggestion. I think I already know a lot of aspects of this, but it will help me to keep working on myself if I keep picturing the type of person I want to be so I know what daily choices to make when I'm feeling a bit lost. So this connects to a, a suggestion I sent to her, which is a quote I love. It the quote is, be before you become. I love it because really what gets us to a goal is action. So mm -hmm. sometimes people get so caught up in the outcome goal that they don't actually take action on the steps to get them there. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm working towards a goal or I'm working with a client towards a goal, I want them to tell me, like, what is the goal or what type of person do you want to be? Because that gives it direction. But then we have to brainstorm, OK, what are the daily or weekly actions to get you there? And you need to become that person. So, for example, if someone was like, I want to be the type of person who has a lot of energy. Well, it's like, OK, what would an energized person do? Well, they probably go to bed and get seven to mm -hmm. eight hours of sleep. They'd probably be drinking enough water. They'd probably be meal planning so that they have balanced meals and snacks through the day that support their energy levels. They'd probably be going out in the sunshine and capturing natural light. They'd probably be adopting a regular exercise routine. So instead of wishing and hoping that we have more energy, let's just take action on what's in your control to improve your energy level. And that works with everything. So for example, for myself personally, I wanted to become a confident runner. So it's like, okay, that's an awesome goal. That's the type of person I want to be. But what would an awesome runner do? Mm -hmm. and, and we can break that down to they'd be running weekly. They'd be getting enough sleep. They'd be fueling their runs. And, and so eventually when you take those actions for long enough, you experience the shift physically. But as this client said, you become that type of person. So whenever we're feeling lost, what do we need to focus on today? What are the actions? That's what's going to get us there in the long run. Yeah, I love that one too. I think that's that is so empowering in that quote be before you become like it 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 sounds like such a simple statement but it is really empowering. It's like, yeah, what do I need to do to get there and like mm -hmm. being able to like kind of work backwards in the process before mm -hmm. we can kind of get to that end goal. Yeah. Yeah, and if anyone wants to dive into it further, I think James Clear in his book Atomic Habits mm -hmm. does a great job of highlighting identity change yeah. and a lot of these concepts, so that would be a great read. I feel like everyone's read that book, but if you haven't, read that book. <laughs> <laughs> in the 13th reflection that this client shared with me, she came back to the concept that we talked about um, called the division of responsibility. So she says... I am in control of what food I offer my child and when I offer it. He is in charge of if he eats and how much he eats. It's my responsibility to prepare and offer the variety and the rest is up to him. His appetite varies daily and I'm learning to trust him in this. I know I will have hurdles as we enter toddler stages and picky eating is common from what I understand, but my goal is to keep offering the variety and letting him be in control of his consumption without me panicking or shifting what I offer him to try and coax him. 
Yeah, so definitely like a strong understanding of the division of responsibility mm-hmm. and her role in it. Um, and, and we talked about it before. But as she starts to mention, this can change throughout the life cycle as a child goes from an infant to a toddler. And then as they get older, too, like in the teen years, we start to give teenagers some responsibility over mm-hmm. the when and what they're eating with snacks. So the division of responsibility does change. And there's considerations if we're struggling with things like picky eating, um, different strategies to overcome it but the base of the division of responsibility stays the same where the parent does not jump into the role of the child um, in terms of taking over the the weather and how much they consume. Mm-hmm. And this is where working with a dietitian is really important if you are struggling with a child's eating so they can help you manage the shifts and the different strategies you might need to implement to create a confident eater who is meeting their nutrient needs. And I feel like this would be a, a pretty challenging one as a parent, like maybe especially with like a young baby or toddler, mm-hmm. just wanting to ensure that they're getting all of mm-hmm. their needs. Um, but I think, you know, having that trust and establishing this from an early age will really help trickle into the later years. Number 14, don't be afraid of fats and food. My client says, fats help me feel satisfied and remain full for longer. Fats contribute so many benefits to my health and enjoyment of food. It's important for me to be mindful of the sources of fats and to not be over-consuming fats too consistently, but definitely not to be afraid of fat. Mm-hmm. I love this one too. I think I think this is a very common one where I think, again, there's just so much confusion around nutrition and, um, you know, it's like fat makes us fat and like keto, low fat, like what do we want, right? Uh-huh. Um, but I think knowing what they do for us and their benefits can be more empowering too. And then physically feeling what they can do for us helps like not be afraid to include them in our meals. Yes, for sure. And I think uh, my client really nailed many of the benefits. For example, fats keeping us full longer because they digest more slowly. Or the fact that fats are just super tasty Mm -hmm. and they add great flavor to a meal. So the meal might be more satisfying. And then even controlling blood sugars where they slow down the release of of natural sugars from the carbohydrates we consume. So we're not having blood sugar spikes and crashes. So I'm a big fan of building fats into meals. And of course, there are circumstances where we might want to be considerate of the portion of fat for our specific goals. So fats are an energy dense food group. So for someone looking um, to experience body recomposition or weight loss, yeah, we might have to have some awareness of portions, but we definitely still want to be including those fats. Um, And for this client specifically, fats became a really important um, food group for her when breastfeeding because energy needs are so high. And for a lot of moms, adding more fats to meals and snacks can really help them meet those energy needs and feel full for longer. Number 15, tracking food can be such a powerful tool, but I know I can get too consumed with it long term. I think this is an awesome reflection. We did use tracking Mm -hmm. to build some awareness on food and nutrient composition, and that was one of her main goals. And it was really helpful, especially when we were going through a phase of body recomposition where she wanted to experience muscle gain with her workouts and lose body fat. So understanding her protein requirements and her caloric needs um, was was awesome and and tracking really helped us with that. But we shifted from tracking later on for a more sustainable approach and to transition that knowledge that she built from tracking um, to be 
more intuitive um, with her hunger and fullness cues, but also um, knowledgeable in how she was putting meals together um, based on some of the strategies we adopted while tracking. Yeah. And I think um, tracking can kind of get a bad rap sometimes, but I think it's when we're coming at it from an active perspective. So active versus passive tracking. Passive tracking is just tracking to track. And it's like, well, it's not helping us learn anything Mm -hmm. from it, right? But active tracking in that, okay, how did that composition of the meal make me feel? Mm -hmm. Like, was there enough to support myself in it? Am I eating enough? Like, I think, you know, actively using it as education and tool and skill building is really where the lens we want to come from. Yeah. And if I think of this client specifically, it was understanding, okay, how much protein Mm -hmm. do I need for my goals? What portions do I need to get 30 grams of protein in meals? Because that's what was feeling good for her. How much fiber am I getting? What types of foods have fiber? And then to have that knowledge and and carry it forward. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely pros and cons to tracking. It's not the best tool for everyone. It can be triggering or compromise our relationship with food, but it can also have a place for certain people. And that's what we work with um, Mm -hmm. when we're working with clients. Do we need to track to build some knowledge and would that be helpful or would that actually not be required or needed or be perhaps unhelpful? Yeah, I think we also have a a podcast on tracking. Yeah, 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 we do. (laughs) I think we do. Yeah, yeah. Number 16. It will always be helpful to take a step back and try to observe and notice my body's hunger, thirst, fullness cues, etc. I've been able to identify these before and they tend to get lost in crazy seasons of life, but I know my body communicates needs when I take the time to pay attention. And this reflection is really beautiful, I think, to come after the tracking reflection Mm -hmm. because tracking is uh, a tool that helps us with external data. So how much protein am I getting? How many calories am I consuming? How much fiber am I getting? And and that can be really helpful and that knowledge base is important. But then to be able to tune into the body and the body cues and use that feedback to make food and and hydration related decisions is really key. So we're not just delegating that job to an app like MyFitnessPal, but we're actually tuning into the body um, and taking those cues to adjust our intake. Yeah, exactly. And it's like using the knowledge and skills that you've been building on, like with the data from tracking Mm -hmm. to help relay that back. And even how she kind of mentioned in uh, those cues getting lost in crazy seasons of life. And then sometimes that's also an important part where it's like, okay, I had I took the time to build these skills and Mm -hmm. knowledge so I can support my body maybe during times when maybe those cues aren't always present Mm -hmm. because maybe stress is higher or just things are a little bit shifted. Absolutely, yeah. Number 17, volume food. Also a hugely life-altering habit that you supported me with. When all else fails, I will always add volume foods to meals and snacks. And volume foods is a food group we talk about with our clients defined as veggies and berries and even fruits. So Mm -hmm. foods that have a lot of volume to them Mm -hmm. relative to their energy or caloric density. So they're foods that are very nutrient dense in terms of fiber and vitamins and minerals, but they also just physically take up a lot of space or Mm -hmm. volume on our plate compared to the calories or energy they provide. So they can be a great food to add more of for the nutritional benefits. But definitely when we're looking at body recomposition or weight loss, or fat loss, Mm -hmm. volume foods become a tool to feel more full while controlling the energy or the caloric density of the meal or snack. 
Number 18, the fundamental four. This is such an easy and manageable approach to building meals and snacks. I constantly find myself thinking of the four categories when I'm building meals, and I know this will be a habit I can use until the end of time. So the fundamental four is the concept that we use at Vitality mm-hmm. Nutrition to build balanced meals. So it's protein, carbohydrates, fats, and volume foods, which we just discussed. And so when clients are transitioning out of tracking or even for clients who tracking is not a good fit for, Mm -hmm. we use this concept to teach them about the role of the food groups and how to build meals that include at least one element from each group. And obviously we can get more into the details where a client might decide from the protein group, they want a serving that gets them at least 30 grams of protein because they're feeling good with that. So of course we can get a little bit more precise in how we're using this method, but I find it such a, a, a great strategy to to build blood sugar supportive meals mm-hmm. that are going to offer many befit, benefits in terms of their nutrient composition. Um, and like my client said, it's something that once we know what foods fall into these groups, we can carry forward with it lifelong quite easily. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's honestly like it's kind of a mental blueprint and like mm-hmm. this little checklist that mm-hmm. you can be thinking about at each meal. And I agree. I think a lot of clients really just embrace the concept too if they're not tracking especially Mm -hmm. and it's okay this gives me that checklist to think about at my meals and then Mm -hmm. I can reflect on how I felt or if I maybe missed one of them at a meal and how that made me feel. Absolutely and if we think of it as a bigger concept in terms of family nutrition for this Mm -hmm. client well it's also important that when she's offering a meal to her child she's offering something from the protein category something from the fat category something from the carb category and veggies and fruits which would fall into that volume category so their meals that were for her as a mom, but there are also meals that work for her entire family. Mm-hmm. Number 19, the importance of setting up your environment for the choices you want to make regularly. For me, this means having healthy items prepped and accessible and less nutrient-dense items less accessible. This also includes batch prepping and meal prepping to reduce daily work throughout the week. This also includes my workout space being accessible. This is a great one. We talk about environment with all of our Mm -hmm. clients is how can we create an environment that makes the habits, the supportive habits we want to adopt easy and the unsupportive habits that we're maybe looking to drop less accessible. And so this client really has embraced the concept and she shared about it specifically with nutrition, making sure her fridge and pantry is set up in a way where she's seeing the food she wants to add in. Um, She's seeing them and they're ready and she can easily add them into meals and snacks. And then she also talked about, you know what, maybe those foods I want to eat less often, they go on the top shelf or they're less accessible. So it's not that they're not allowed in the home or we can't eat Mm -hmm. them. It's just they're not um, in a spot where we might just be grabbing them because yeah. it's easy versus being intentional with when we want to enjoy those foods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that she talked about this habit with um, not only nutrition, but her exercise goal. So preparing her workout space. So it's at home for her and easy and accessible. So I think that's a great strategy for exercise as well. Number 20, this is our client's final reflection, and it's a wonderful one to end with. She says, foods aren't good or bad. They just have different roles. There are all the time foods and sometimes foods, and they are all important. Yeah, I I really, I think this is a great one to end on too. And it's really just embracing that we are looking what we can add to our day most often and knowing that there's going to be maybe some foods that are a little bit more supportive of our goals and some that are maybe less, but 
exactly neither in are inherently good or bad. It's just really being intentional about those choices. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in learning more about many of the concepts we discussed in today's podcasts, we invite you to tune in to our blog. I'll leave a link in the show notes or scroll back to previous podcast episodes where we touch on many of these nutrition related concepts. Thanks for spending your time with us. To further fill your plate, follow us on social media using the links in our show notes or visit us online at vitalitynutrition.ca. And as always, we welcome your ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay fed, stay moving, and stay well. Produced at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.